I'd like to invite up Kurt Jones. He's one of the pastors at Valley Church. They did sort of a Freaky Friday thing this week. Uh, you know, the Lindsay Lohan, Jamie Lee Curtis movie. You ever see it? Yeah. Okay. Well, Dave's over there uh, playing mom, and Kurt's over here uh, playing daughter. So uh, <laughs> I have to think about that uh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's my intro. All right, give him a warm welcome. Thanks. <laughs> Time to do something. Can I get an amen? Yes. It's hard for me to stand here in this pulpit without getting pretty emotional because I remember almost 10 years ago now when a group of people that were meeting in this building said it's time to do something and time to do something different. And because of the, the faith and the courage and the humility of a group of men and women from what was known as Family Bible Church at the time, decided to do something, that God did something new and uh, fresh and exciting. And it was uh, a privilege to be uh, a part of that dream, a part of that uh, uh, bold venture of faith that, uh, that God did here, and uh, to see some of those familiar faces out here in the, in the congregation today is a real joy. So uh, I, I don't even want to start with names because I know I'll miss somebody and then I'll be mad at myself after that. But even more exciting than seeing some of you old folks is seeing some of you who I've never met before. And to know that God is at work and God is doing new things. Um, my name is Kurt. Uh, this is my wife, Valerie. And uh, we're, we're just overjoyed to be here and to see what God is doing. We uh, stay in contact with many uh, folks um, of course, you know, again, the history is that, that God did something new and a bunch of people from Valley Church came down here. We were always hoping they'd come back at some point in time, uh, but I don't think anybody did. I think they all stayed down here. And, uh, and so we, we feel a warm, warm friendship, kinship. This is like family for us. And uh, we just remember the times with you, many of you, working here, painting, cleaning, uh, putting new carpets in, doing all kinds of stuff here, and then to see this now. Uh, we're coming up on 10-year anniversary here. You realize that? It's hard to believe, but it's going to be 10 years here pretty quick. And uh, again, God gets all the credit, and it's a joy uh, to share in that with you from, uh, from Valley Church. Um, a very quick update on our family. Uh, some of you remember our kids when they were, you know, little. Uh, they're all uh, grown now. And uh, one of our daughters just returned from Israel. She's at the uh, Joshua uh, Wilderness Institute up at Hume Lake, finishing her first year there. And we'll be working on staff there this summer. And then uh, Michaela, Elena, and Kiara are graduating from high school this year. It's hard to believe. But they're uh, finishing off and getting ready to go off to whatever's next, which we're still not sure about, uh, trying to figure that out. But again, it's great. Red words. What a fantastic uh, sermon series title. Um, you know, Dave and I worked together for 10 years uh, at Valley Church, and we worked together at another local church before that. And I've always appreciated Dave's creative abilities. In fact, uh, uh, there are times when I call Dave and I say, Dave, I need a sermon title. Can you help me? So this R-E-A-D words uh, thing is wonderful because focusing in on the words of Jesus is uh, you can never go wrong. And uh, as Rob said, uh, as he read the first John passage, 
It's because of him that we're here. It's because of him that we have life, we have hope, we have dreams, we uh, can uh, look forward to that light that's coming one day as we go through this world. And it's the, he's the reason that we can be salt and that we can do something. Not just do something, you know, even if it's wrong, kind of do something, but do something for a cause, do something for a greater reason, for a greater purpose. And so focusing in on the words of Christ is wonderful. Um, I'm going to turn us to Luke chapter 10 today, a familiar story, a familiar passage, but I hope we can look at it maybe from a little bit different way. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be reading verses 25 through 37 today. I do love this graphic. Uh, I, I, was, I was inspired. I wanted to go out and lift weights. Uh, I wanted to go over to Jim's house and, you know, pump some iron uh, with Jim a little bit, uh, you know, uh, maybe not quite as much, but at least uh, try, try some of that. Uh, it's it's, uh, it's this, this, no excuses, but then great expectations of what can be done. Um, I do have to admit, though, I really don't like to exercise. In fact, running is probably the thing I, I uh, like the least of any kind of exercise whatsoever. Uh, several years ago, uh, my wife, you know, would say, hey, you know, we should exercise, we should exercise. And I was like, you yeah, know, not, you know, not really. Uh, exercise is a highly overrated, um, you know, um, you know, this kind of exercise seems just fine to me. Uh, and uh, so we would talk about that. And, and we began walking. We began walking in the neighborhood. I don't really like running, but I like being with my wife. And so we would walk, and uh, we'd walk around the block and talk, and then we'd walk around the block twice. And pretty soon we were, you know, well, we could maybe just walk fast. And we began to kind of gradually increase that to where uh, last year we actually uh, did a, a race called the Tough Mudder, which is a 12-mile race uh, starting at the base of um, North Star, running up the mountain and then running all the way back down it. Uh, with obstacles along the way. So that's crazy, isn't it? Uh, and you pay money for that, uh, which is the amazing thing. But, uh, and actually, we're going to do one again. We're going to do a Spartan race at the end of this summer, which not only has the all the way up and all the way down and the obstacles, but people trying to knock you down as you do it. So for $100, you can join us. Uh, but one of the things that happens is that uh, there's always an excuse, right? And always a reason why I shouldn't run, why I shouldn't lift, why I shouldn't cross-train, why I shouldn't do it. Have, it. have any of you ever ever told an excuse? Some good reason. It seems perfectly plausible at the time. You know, uh, it's too early, it's too late, I'm too tired, it's raining, it's too cold, it's too hot. There's always a reason not to do something, Right? I love the, uh, the story of the, of the four-year-old who is giving excuses as to why she shouldn't do her chores. And she was saying, Mommy, I have a migraine. You know, uh, we, we, we've all got reasons why we shouldn't do things. But this story, really, that Jesus tells is, is about facing those excuses, facing those reasons why we don't do what we really should do. Uh, Let's read together Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? 
And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So who is this, this guy? He's a, a, a lawyer. The, the word nomikos is, is a technical term for one who's skilled in the law. Uh, this is not just a scribe. A scribe would be one who would uh, just write down the law, uh, would actually transfer copies from one scroll to another scroll. This is a guy who was an expert, probably had the, the Tanakh memorized, uh, all the books of the Old Testament. So this guy knew his stuff. And uh, he came, he was probably a member of that group that, uh, that was uh, antagonistic to Jesus. We can see that it says that he was uh, putting him to the test. So, so here's Jesus. He's coming back from uh, the, the 70 have gone out. They've had this wonderful ministry experience. He sent them out two by two. They're coming back. They're recounting to Jesus the amazing things that have happened. They're so excited about what's been, been going on. And, and Jesus tells them, okay, let's, let's keep this in perspective. Yes, great things are happening but you should be more excited about the fact that your names are recorded in heaven. And so, so it's, this, it's this party, it's this excitement, this, this celebration of what has been done. And he rejoices. Jesus said in verse 21, it says, he was rejoicing greatly in the Holy Spirit. So this is a high moment. And this, this wet dish towel comes in, this, this wet blanket comes into the party and he begins to test Jesus because they were never very far away from him. They were always trying to, to poke holes in his, his uh, popularity. You know that the, the, uh, the scriptures say that the people were with Jesus. They could see it. They could hear it in his voice. They knew that this was not just another rabbi, not just another wandering prophet. This was somebody that had words of life. And so... Here's a, 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 a lawyer who's trying to poke holes in Jesus. And he, and he does it in a really sly way. It sounds like such a, 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 um, a pious question. Oh, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Like, like, I don't really know. Come on, give me a break. This guy has got the Old Testament memorized. He knows all there is to know about following the laws, following the rules. And they were famous. Uh, the, the Pharisees had gone through and they had identified 613 direct commands from Scripture that the Old Testament said they had to obey. And then commentators got in and they began to write more and they, and they, they expanded on that. And they had 63 volumes then of commentary on those 613 laws. And then another set of commentaries on that. If you go to Israel today and you're there on the Sabbath, the the uh, elevators will stop on every floor. Why is that? Because you're not supposed to kindle a fire on the Sabbath. And pressing a button on an elevator actually makes a, an electrical connection. Therefore, you're not supposed to make an electrical connection because it's kindling the fire. Because that breaks a thing about working on the Sabbath. And this guy knew that kind of stuff inside and out. He has it down pat. And so he asks this pious-sounding question. 
It's like the guy in Matthew 22 that, that Rob read that was asking this question about what is the greatest commandment in the law? These, these very, very religious sounding questions. But look at the motive. It's there in verse 25. To put him to the test. Trying to find some way to trip him up. Some way to embarrass him. Some way to get him to, to speak a contradiction of himself. He was skeptical of Jesus, irritated by Jesus, proud, defiant, head held high. Now, there's a couple things you should know about these uh, groups. So you had your traditional Pharisees, you had your Sadducees, you had your priests, you had you know, these ones who were very traditional. They, they, they believed that uh, the greatest commandments was indeed, love the Lord your God with all your heart, but the traditionalists followed the, the first five books of the Bible only. So they would not include the historical books, they would not include the, the poetic books, they would not include prophecy, just the first five books of the Bible. So if you were to ask one of them, what are the greatest commandments, they would say, love the Lord first, then keep the Sabbath, no idolatry, no adultery, touching nothing unclean. And very far down the list, about 20th on the list, would be love your neighbor as yourself. That is recorded in the book of Leviticus, and so they would acknowledge it, but it certainly wasn't number one or number two. Now, the more progressive people of Jesus' day would say, no, number one is love the Lord your God, but number two was love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19.18. And again, various groups had various opinions on this matter. There were the Zealots, there were the Essenes, there were all these different groups of people, but there was a debate that was going at the time. So this lawyer comes and says, well, let's get Jesus stirred up in this debate. Well, at least get some people angry at him, trying to, to, to dredge up some dirt on this whole thing. Now, Jesus says in verse 28, you have answered correctly. The Greek word there is orthos, from which we get our word orthodoxy. Yes, you've, you've answered right. You got the box checked correctly. You got the Sunday school answer just right. Jesus takes the side of the progressive Pharisees. He takes the side of the ones who, who have this view of God first, others then second. And then Jesus turns to him. Look at verse uh, 28. And he says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. He says, do this and you will live. He turns the tables on the guy and he says, okay, you've got the right Sunday school answer. Good job. Now do it. Uh, Nike thought they had it first. They didn't. Just do it. And this then is where the, 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 the Pharisee starts to go, wait, wait, wait a minute. Uh, I'm in control here. I'm asking the questions. I'm the one who's supposed to be grilling you, not you grilling me. See, Jesus flips the, the tables. And it was a, a Jewish... Um, teaching technique to either ask another question, to tell a story, to do this kind of thing. And so Jesus quotes Scripture saying, now do this and you will live. And the Pharisee, the, the, I'm sorry, the, the lawyer is stuck. And so what does he do? Look at verse 29. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Wishing to justify himself. Ever been there? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. I know the answer. 
You know the right answer. You know the right thing to do. You know the Sunday school answer is whatever it is in the situation you're in. But you're looking for some way to justify yourself. Fill in the blank however you want to. Jesus is not asking the question, who is my neighbor? He's trying to get this this teacher to understand what kind of person are you? He says, who's my neighbor? Well, the answer was clear. To the Jews, my neighbor are other Jews. To the Pharisee, it was, oh, to other Pharisees. You see, self-serving rationalization always makes our own life easier. I'm going to be friends to those who are friendly to me. I'm going to be nice to those who are nice to me. My point uh, number one today, if you're filling in your outlines, is self-centered living always leads to excuses for behavior. Point number one, self-centered living always leads to excuses for behavior. It's natural to think about yourself first. It's natural to take the way of comfort first. The couch looks so much more comfortable than the concrete out in front of my house. And so I will try to figure out ways to make that happen. It's natural to think of yourself first. The disciples were no different. In the book of Acts, when they were talking to Jesus about coming together, they said, Lord, is it at this time you are going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They were looking for political deliverance. They were crushed when He was crucified. Not because they were thinking about the Savior of the world. They were thinking about the Savior of the political nation of Israel. Their own fortunes, their own futures. And so we all make excuses. Ben Franklin said, He's good. he that is good at making excuses is seldom good for anything else. And yet that's what we tend to do. How, how many of you ever tried the dog ate my homework on your mom? Moms, how many of your kids have ever tried something as lame as that on you? Yeah, there's always that way of trying to Look for things. The normal human response is rationalization. We look for holes to duck down into. Ways of avoiding the hard truth. I uh, remember sitting listening to missionaries tell stories. And uh, my wife's a missionary kid, grew up in Brazil with Bible translators. And there's always something about going and listening to missionaries tell these hair-raising stories, you know, of, spears being thrown at them or you know anaconda snakes or these kinds of things and you you walk away and you feel like you've lived vicariously don't you you know wow i mean we're reading peace child right now as a family you know uh these guys out in the middle of headhunters and cannibals and then i i put that book down and i feel like i've done it i feel so like spiritual because i read a book about somebody else following jesus there's a lady right now that I have met at a Starbucks, and, uh, and she wrote me an email a couple weeks ago. She said, uh, I don't go to Starbucks anymore. I don't like their, their uh, politics. So she goes to Pete's. Uh, yeah, amen. Uh, and uh, she says, but I'm not hearing from Jesus. She's not a believer. I'm not hearing from Jesus. And uh, I, said, I wrote her back and said, well, you need to listen to him more. She says, I'm listening to him. Why don't you come and talk to me about him? Well, I've talked to her a lot about him. 
And I find myself making excuses about why I can't go to Pete's. Because I know this is just going to be a long conversation. I feel sort of like, and then I listen to myself and I say, what kind of rationalization am I making? Here's somebody who's asking me to tell them about Jesus. You know, we can rationalize. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Prove yourselves to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. We get to the point where we believe our own excuses. All right, go back to the scribe. He's thinking he's going to use these same old games. And he says, who's my neighbor? Jesus, you know, figure that one out. I can just see a a smirk on his face. So he tells a story. And here in this story that we know as the Good Samaritan, a, a process of stripping begins. Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 32. Jesus replied and said, A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. By chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Point number one was self-centered living always leads to excuses for behavior. Point number two is seeing the truth always leads to exposure of the heart. Seeing the truth always leads to exposure of the heart. A couple years ago, Val and I took a, a group of people from Valley Church and we went to the Holy Land. Amazing experience. I mean, the Sea of Galilee, walking along where Jesus walked. I mean, it's just a fantastic experience. If you get the chance to go, again, my, our daughter just came back from Israel. She said, Dad, you know, being there by the Dead Sea, being there in Masada, seeing these, these places. Well, Masada is just down the road from Jericho. They're re- both right on the edge of the Dead Sea. And you go from Jericho, and you go up this 17-mile journey up to Jerusalem. And it's it's up and down because Jericho is at 1,000 feet below sea level. And Jerusalem is 3,000 feet above sea level. So some smart person, do the math here, 4,000 feet elevation in 17 miles. It's a steep, windy, narrow road. It's full of turns. The mountains there are full of caves. That's uh, the same uh, area just a little further south where the Qumran, where, where the Dead Sea Scrolls are found in a cave. And so it was a place where robbers would hide, where if you went up or down that road, you could easily be uh, ambushed. You could be beaten. So Jesus tells this story about this man, a Jewish man. Of course it was a Jewish man. It doesn't say he was a Jewish man, but, but everybody there would be assuming this is a Jewish man that was beaten, uh, stripped, taken everything of value and left half dead and dying. Bruises, open wounds, all kinds of terrible things, probably near death. And Jesus goes ahead and tells a story then about a man from the tribe of Levi, a priest. Somebody who would be involved in the temple sacrifices and the, the things going on in the, in the temple. Maybe probably not a high priest, but at least somebody who is there involved in that. These would, this would be somebody who is focused in on the, the uh, temple sacrifice. Possibly a Sadducee. Possibly somebody who was involved in that. Again, now the, the, the scribes, the lawyers, the, those who were the Pharisees, 
would have had contempt for the Sadducees. The Sadducees were those, again, like I said, who focused in on the first five books of the Bible. And, and they, they thought the Pharisees were these liberal upstarts. So there's this, this animosity in between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, between the traditionalists and the more progressive kind of people. And so Jesus tells a story about one of those conservative kinds of people, a, 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 a priest, who's on his way, uh, making his way, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So, his, his, uh, his duties are done. He's maybe on his way home. And it says that he passed him by. That he left him where he was. And, and we say, well, gosh, how could the guy be so insensitive? How could he be so calloused as to, to, not, to not see him and to, to, to not care for him? But again, remember, this is somebody who who's has large portions of the Scripture memorized, and he sees him and he says, okay, what's my number one priority? My number one priority is love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number two, then, are these things about keeping myself pure. And Leviticus 15 clearly says that if, that if somebody has an open wound or some kind of oozing, that, that it shouldn't touch them because they'd be unclean. So here this priest is, he's coming down the road and he hears this moaning and groaning and he looks over and he's stuck in a quandary. Now he may have been afraid because he could have thought, well, maybe the robbers are still nearby and I don't want to get beat up either. But he's, but he's in that dilemma at that moment in time. And so, so Jesus is telling this story and, and the, 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 the lawyer is listening to this and he's, he's, he's got this picture and he goes, well... Well, I know what the second greatest commandment is. The second greatest commandment is, I need to love others as myself. And the Pharisee is thinking, well, I would have gone over and I would have helped him. Right? But, but, but the, the priest didn't. Jesus goes on and talks about then a Levite. Again, somebody from the tribe of Levi, probably involved in temple sacrifices. Maybe a musician. Maybe one of the singers. One of the, the people that helped with the various sacrifices. Right? Again, same kind of standards. I don't want to, but this guy at least comes over and looks. Notice the text. He came to the place and saw him. He at least inspects. And then he goes, Well, I can't get involved. I can't get my hands dirty. I can't get uh, blood or, or, or any of that. Kind of, I, I just can't do that. And so he steps over him and keeps going. And so the Pharisee, this, this young lawyer, is listening to this, and he's, and he's, he's beginning to, 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 to think of where Jesus is going. He's the kind of going down the road a ways, if you will. He's saying, okay, well, I, I, the, here's, here's two guys who did it wrong. The traditionalist priest, one. The Levite, two. And he's thinking, now, now who's the next one that's going to come along? Jesus pulls the rug out from under the Pharisee. Because I believe the Pharisee was probably thinking, and then another person came along. Verse 33. But a certain... And, and, and the Pharisee is on the edge of his seat. And the Pharisee is thinking, and Jesus is going to say, and a certain Pharisee came along. Right? Because... Jesus has already told him he's answered correctly. Love God, love others. 
so Jesus is trying to illustrate this story. And so he's going to say, and then a Pharisee came along and cared for him. Right? And so, the, so this, this young lawyer is rubbing his hands, going, man, I'm right there. I know what's going to happen. This is going to be great. And he's like saying the, the words out of his mouth. And a Pharisee came along. But Jesus says, but a Samaritan came along. You, I, I think for those that were around at the time, a burst of laughter came out of their mouths. A what? You might as well have said a Martian came along. Some Martian. Uh, 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 some, th- some person from another planet. No more stinging example could have possibly been given than a Samaritan. These were the hated half-breeds who lived in between Galilee and Judea. These are the ones that, that if a, 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 a Jew was traveling to the, to the Sea of Galilee, he would go up to the edge of Samaria, he would go across the Jordan River, walk all the way up, cross the Jordan River again, and then go in. This is why when we see Jesus walking through Samaria, it's so mind-boggling. Jesus blows their blueprint by saying, a Samaritan come. And he gives them, and he puts them in a very, very positive light. Verse 33. A certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. He came to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and took him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I return, I will repay you. You see, the Samaritan did what the Pharisee would not have done. The Samaritan did what the Levite didn't do, what the priest didn't do. Because he saw. And I want to just point out kind of the stages of how to do what he's doing. First of all, he saw with his eyes. He saw need. He looked and he saw a person in need. He didn't see a moral quandary. He saw a person. Somebody with heart, dreams, families. Part of my problem is, honestly, I don't see people. I I don't see a person drive by. I see a Mercedes drive by, or a BMW, or kind of a car. I heard one person say one time, people around us, We've gotten into a mindset that people are either scenery or they're machinery. They're, they're, they're things that go by us and we glance at them maybe, or they're machinery that serves us. The lady at Marie Callender's where you're going to go to lunch. Is she a person or is she machinery? What is the equivalent of the, of the Samaritan seeing I believe it's us seeing the world the way God sees it. Seeing people. Seeing souls that will last for all eternity. I I found this little graphic that that kind of sees the world the way God does. And if you put the world into 10 people, 7 billion plus, about 12% are Christians. That they um, love God, they regularly pray, they share their faith, They're a part of a local church. They're available as that salt and light 
workforce for God's kingdom. About 700 million people. Largest percentage live in, anybody want to guess? The largest percentage of Christians live where? Asia. Yeah, Asia. Secondly, followed North America, Africa, South America. About 200 million persecuted Christians in the world. So that's that first group. The second group, nominal believers, are cultural Christians. They may never attend church, pray, read the Bible, share, but they call themselves Christians. No assurance of salvation, no assurance of God's love in their life. About 1.2 billion people in the world that are like that. The third group of people are those who who, um, have been reached with the Gospel but have not accepted Christ. They've heard about Jesus. They may may even own a Bible. They're um, uh, North American, Latin American, European, African. They're within the reach of the Gospel if somebody would tell them, if somebody would live out God's love in front of them about two billion people. But those third three, that 30% on the left side, 2.7 billion people who we call unreached, folks that, we've nev- that have never heard the gospel, they've never heard about Jesus, they have no viable indigenous evangelizing church movement within their own people. Again, they're Muslims, they're Hindus, they're Buddhists, they're atheists. This also happens to be where uh, the largest number, 80% of the world's poor, are in that group as well. Um, half of them live on um, less than $1.40 a day. Um, most of them live in the 1040 window. And again, when we see the world, that's how God sees the world. And, uh, and we need, again, to see the way He sees. When Jesus sees the world, He sees people without hope, without direction, without meaning, without purpose. He doesn't see the car they drive or the house they live in or whether they're, you know, brought you your uh, hamburger a little bit too slow. Uh, He sees souls. He sees people. But, we don't just stop at seeing. The next thing happens. Notice it says that He saw that He felt compassion. So he sees, that's his eyes, he felt with his heart. He felt a deep sympathy for this Jew. That's the way our Lord was. That's the kind of a heart that he had. In Luke chapter 10, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus felt compassion for the multitudes because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. He was longing that people would see the way he saw, that they would would act the way he acted. This is what caused Christians in the 1830s to go to Africa and share the name of Jesus. They would pack their belongings in coffins because they knew they weren't going to live long and they weren't going to be coming back. This is what caused Moravians to sell themselves into slavery in order to spread the gospel among the slave traders. It was a, the, what motivated people to a radical kind of love. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 and 15, Paul said, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. That love that I've received allows me then 
to not just see people, but to feel for them as well. There's a third step, and it says that he went, that he used his own clothes, his own uh, beast, his own time, his own money, the blank check to the innkeeper, and he did that with gladness. He went. He saw, he felt, and he went. Because if you stop at feeling, what happens is you begin to build up a callus. That we make excuses for for these feelings that we have. Oh, I'm too busy. Oh, what will this cost me? Oh, it might be a trap. Oh, somebody else will do this. Oh, I gave it the office. Oh, there are too many like this. Oh, what difference can one person make? All these kinds of reasons why we shouldn't get involved or shouldn't get engaged with people around us. And so if we stop at feelings, what we'll do is we'll build up a callus over that area. Pretty soon, we will stop feeling. Pretty soon, we will stop seeing. Um, we preached through the book of Luke a little while ago at Valley, and I realized as I went through these passages, I found myself identifying with the Pharisees. I couldn't believe it. I thought I was progressive. I thought I was, you know, and I could see myself when I was thinking about dangerous living for Christ, about going out there, of maybe getting taken advantage of sometimes, but about being out there. I was more the conservative. And I felt that the Lord was speaking to me about that, about radical love. 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need and has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but in actions and in truth. Now, I know some of you are very sensitive, and some of you are thinking, all right, well, I'm already given to three missionaries, and I'm feeding the poor on Friday nights, and I'm down at the homeless shelter on Saturday nights, and, I'm, and you're thinking, but I need to do more. And I, I just want to say that, that, that there are uh, limits. There, there, are, there is discernment. Uh, you do need to take care of your own family. Uh, I, knew to one, I knew one missionary who was giving away his clothes, his food, his money, so that his own family wasn't being cared for. That, you know, you've got to use wisdom. But most of us have so far to go on that side of loving. That, that we should, again, look to Christ first. Let me tell you a story about Dr. Graham Staines. Um, there's a picture of him there with his two boys. He's a medical doctor and, and Baptist missionary for 30 years in remote parts of India, working among lepers. Uh, as he was sleeping with his two young boys in a, their truck, uh, a group of 40 extremist Hindus came and, uh, and murdered them. His wife, Gladys, and 13-year-old daughter, Esther, had stayed at home. Mrs. Staines reported, uh, told reporters one day after the killings, I am terribly upset, but not angry. My husband loved Jesus Christ, who taught us to forgive our enemies. She has remained in India and continued to work in the same area her husband was killed in. The Prime Minister of India later said it was the greatest example of the gospel he had ever seen. Um, radical love, radical uh, obedience is the, sh the light that shines the farthest. So again, here's the story. At this point, the scribe, whose head was once held high, is now has his eyes in the dirt. The point of the story is clear. 
He says to himself, I've got a life built on excuses. I've got eyes that don't see, I've got a heart that doesn't feel, and I've got feet that don't move. He's totally exposed. And Jesus says to him in verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And I think with a quiet and humble voice, he says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus then says the same thing again, go and do the same. With a whole different perspective now, do you see? It's not about a bunch of legalistic do's and don'ts. It's not about the right Sunday school answer. It's about going and doing it. The third point I want to make today is that living out love leads to action. It leads to action. You see, the scribe wanted to know, what kind of person can I love? What kind of rules and regulations can I put on this? And Jesus wanted to say, what kind of person are you? Remember the answer to the original question, what's the greatest commandment? It starts with loving God. That, that's the well that you are going to draw out of. This overwhelming sense of grace, of forgiveness of God that will allow you to love other people. Love allows a willingness to open up, to feel, to be exposed, to get your hands dirty. Love doesn't always give people exactly what they ask for. Let me make that clear. You parents, you know that. You know that. You can love people without giving them exactly what they ask for. Every time you say no is not an excuse. But again, I believe we've got a long ways to go to moving toward where Christ wants us to be. Alright, how do we put feet to this message? Um, some of you might be saying, well, he's talking to someone else. Um, I am talking to someone else, but I'm talking to you too, and I'm talking to myself. Let me just give you three things that you can do. Number one is to pray. Just pray for God to open the eyes of your heart. Bob Pierce, founder of World Vision, wrote in his Bible, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Secondly is begin to give. Um, Money is the easiest way to begin that process of giving up and investing in others. That's a great place to start. Let me ask you a couple of questions to to make this practical. Who is one person in need that God wants you to love. Can you picture somebody right now that God wants you to love? You may get to share the gospel with them, you may not, but one person that you want to, that you think God wants you to take that step forward. One way to get involved in meeting the needs of the world around you. You may not see anybody right now. You may not know of somebody personally that God wants you to love. Is there a way you can get engaged with your community? One of the things I love about Neighborhood Bible Church is the desire and the actions you've taken to get engaged in your community. Is there one way to do that? And then, maybe, one opportunity to share the gospel with another person, taking that next step on over. Um, I was debating between which title slide to use in this series, and uh, I want to put up the the one I chose uh, secondly. Um, Loving Without Excuses and living without excuses and loving without limits. What's your excuse? Uh, what's your excuse for not stepping forward? Um, what's one place where God wants to challenge you to be loved, to love, and to to give in a new and fresh way today? Father, thank you for your love for us. 
Thank you for um, the overwhelming um, spring of living water that you said would pour out on over us when we connected ourselves to you, when we love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, that you can pour out over us for your glory. God, I pray that you would um, give us the eyes to see. Give us the, the, the feet that will move. Give us the hands that will serve. And um, we'll make sure you get all the credit. In Jesus' name, amen.